and welcome to EQ Above IQ, Parenting with Emotional Intelligence and Healing the Inner Child. My name is Trina Casey and I'm your host. Thank you again for joining me on this episode of EQ Above IQ. I am so grateful for your listenership and yeah, welcome. This episode, I'm going to be talking about something that is current, that is top of mind, and of course is also very difficult for many people and many communities. I am talking about the trial of David Chauvin. I think that's how you say his last name. And he murdered George Floyd in front of cameras and Honestly, I don't understand why this isn't an open and shut case at this point. The visuals are there. The testimony is there. I'll be honest, I haven't been watching it as closely as I'm sure some of you have been, but that's due to my coping mechanism. And so this episode, I'm going to be talking about different kinds of coping mechanisms And the reason why I felt it was important to do that is because I think a lot of people are totally unaware of how they cope with problems. And I always believe the best way to become aware is to give something a name, to rename it, to do different things, but bring awareness by giving it a name like emotions. I, I always tell my son when he's feeling an emotion, let's name it. Let's name the emotion so that we can, we can solve it indirectly and outside of ourselves because it's important. Sometimes when we're right in it, we can't see the problem. It's part of the reason why I write children's books about emotional intelligence to teach emotional intelligence because storytelling is such a beautiful tool and we use it throughout history. We've used it throughout the world in order to talk about important things, but give ourselves distance from it so that we can really understand it more deeply. It's, it's a strange kind of phenomenon, but you know, at the same time, it makes sense when we're in an emotional state about something, about a situation. If we go and we focus totally on us within that situation, we may not see all the sides of the situation. We may not see the perspective of the other person. And so storytelling and books are very good tools in order to see the perspectives from different angles. You see, you know, what is this character feeling? Why is the main character doing what they're doing? Well, if you were the main character, you would say, I'm doing it because this or that or that or this. But the truth is, is there's other reasons that are maybe working underneath. And that has to do with your coping mechanisms. And so I'm just going to break down a few of these coping mechanisms and how they work, why they work or why they don't work. Because just as we have positive, there is negative coping mechanisms. And I'm going to jump into that. One of the mechanisms that people use is appraisal focused coping strategies. And this is considered an adaptive 
cognitive type of a coping mechanism. And the strategies occur when the person modifies the way they think. For example, employing denial or distancing themselves from the problem. People may alter the way they think about the problem by changing their goals and values, maybe seeing the humor in a situation instead of, you know, focusing on the negative of it. That's one kind. And and another is adaptive behavioral coping strategies. People who use problem-focused strategies, they basically try to find a way to deal with the cause of the problem, you know. And they do this through finding out information on the problem, learning new skills to manage the problem. Problem-focused coping is really aimed at changing or eliminating the source of the stress. This is something that I use daily because I I deal with PMDD, which is something that's kind of out of my control. So this really works with taking control, information seeking, and evaluating the pros and the cons. But it's not always adaptive, especially in an uncontrollable case. You know, we can't control certain things and to make a problem go away. It is what it is. And I want to stress that you may not just use one of these coping mechanisms. You may use many of them at the same time or interchange. Like everything, we are always evolving. We are always changing. Don't put yourself in a box. This is something that is really important. And and I, you know, I think that many times when doing research, and I did a lot of research because actually I wrote a paper on this in my <laughs> health psychology class. So this is a, a really important subject that's near in dear to my heart because how we cope with things kind of gives us the path to the rest of our life. And if we are always in certain ways of thinking, we may come into maladaptive coping mechanisms. And those are drinking, drugs, escapism, things like that. And I think we live in a society where I see that a lot, where people are buying their happiness rather than getting underneath why they're unhappy. So I'm really, I focus on the problem, but I also use a lot of emotion focused coping strategies and I teach that. So teaching people how to release pent up emotions, distraction is a really good one with kids and when they're really focused on having that cookie, you, you, you distract them. What about this over here? Managing hostile feelings. That's a really big part of the fifth principle, which is self-regulation, meditating. That's a part of the self-awareness piece and self-regulation, mindfulness practices and all kinds of relaxation procedures. You know, emotion focus base is really oriented towards managing the emotions. Also something that I need to do with the PMDD. And, you know, there are five focuses, emotion focused coping strategies, which is disclaiming, escape avoidance, you know, let's deal with it. Let's not try to run away from it. Accepting accountability or responsibility exercise and self-control, which is self-regulation and positive reappraisal, meaning it's not as bad as you think it is, or it is what it is. Many times we will really focus 
on something that is emotionally triggering or trauma that is emotionally triggering. And some of us will ruminate and they'll relive it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to a point of a nauseates other people. (laughs) And again, about uh, emotion-focused coping, it is a mechanism to alleviate distress by minimizing, reducing, and preventing the emotional components of the stressor. So you can apply this, and I always recommend this, by seeking social support, by seeking a coach like me, re-looking at it in positive light. As a cognitive behavioral therapy coach, one of my favorite exercises is working with people and having them write down the lie that they keep believing about themselves and then leave a space underneath to write the truth. That's your reappraisal. And then, oh, like I said, I talk about this all the time. We have to, a self-accountability is such a super power for growth. You know, taking ownership and responsibility for something you did, said, apologizing to your child for blowing up and going too far, explaining your trigger because their trigger triggered yours. There is the negative using avoidance, but avoidance is not always negative. You know, I, I want to rephrase that because sometimes there are people that are in your life that you thought were different in the beginning or who changed over time or you changed over time. You became more aware and you started healing your inner child, but they want you to stay the same because that's where their comfort level is. So basically you need to start avoiding those people because until they make a shift and a change, that dynamic is going to continue. And so I just had a wonderful, wonderful clubhouse meeting last night. And I have clubhouse Friday nights at 8 p.m. European Standard Time, where I'm talking about reparenting ourselves, our inner child with emotional intelligence. It was such a heart opening and beautiful conversation that I had with some ladies. If you want to come in and join that room, it's in the EQ above IQ room on clubhouse and you can follow me on clubhouse at this real life. And it was my first room and it went so well. And I'm so grateful for, for the people who were in there having the discussion, how they really, you know, heart open, courageous, and shared what was going on with them. And I spoke about the building blocks of emotional intelligence. So each Friday at 8 PM, I will be talking in this room about different subjects and yeah, coping mechanisms might be the next one. So back to the subjects, back to these coping mechanisms, exercising self-control. You know, if you have always had a fight or flight response, because that's how you were programmed as a child, your inner child wants to run, escape, or lash out. Emotional coping is a really important coping mechanism. And I spoke a little bit about distancy, which is to me falls in line with avoidance anyway. When we focus on this coping mechanism, it's to change the meaning of the stressor and transfer attention away from it. Okay. So if we focus on something that, that we're just like always drilling, ruminating negativity, we, we need to redirect reappraising 
tries to find more of a positive meaning and it reduces the emotional component of the stressor. So if something is really making you feel badly, to be able to look at it with different eyes. And this is really helpful for me. Sometimes I have to engage other people. And this is why it's so important to reach out to other people seeking social support, because sometimes you just, you need to get out of your own head. And sometimes you need other people to help you do that. So that's why I became a coach because I realized that even within myself, a coach needs a coach and we we learn from each other during this process. And it's just the only difference is between a friend and a coach, maybe a coach like me, for example, has studied the field, is well-versed in cognitive behavioral therapy and is certified in it. And I really work differently than you would if you had just a conversation with a buddy or a confidant. I'm gonna give you tools in order for you to actually shift that thought process. Some of the mechanisms of emotion-focused coping, such as distancing or avoidance, can have alleviating outcomes for a short period of time, okay? So, but over long-term, it's really important to get underneath that, underneath why you need to avoid this or that person or situation. And then if we have positive focus mechanisms, like seeking support, yeah. So basically, there's so many things that you can be doing with emotion-focused coping. Obviously, I work with that a lot because I work in emotional intelligence. But like I said, a lot of these coping mechanisms are interchangeable and we're going to use a lot of different ones. There's also reactive and proactive coping. Most coping, to be honest, is reactive in coping with the response of how things are stressing you or the stressors and anticipating them. For example, when you have a mental illness or a health condition, that is more proactive coping because you know it's going to happen. And that anticipation is, is when one reduces the stress from a difficult challenge by anticipating what will likely happen and prepare for it. And I do that each month with my PMDD. I, I, I'm self-aware in my body. I know it's coming. I sense the changes in my moods. This is why self-awareness is the most important element or the first principle of the five because it helps you manage all of the other principles. So when you're self-aware in your body and you know what's going on with your body and you know what triggers you, you can, you can go through all the other principles in a breeze. Social coping is understanding that we are in a social environment. We're not by ourselves and it can be very stressful, but it also is something that can be positive. As, as you can tell, all of the, most of these, not all, but most of these coping mechanisms have duality. There can be a positive and the negative, and it depends on, A, the gender of the person. It's very interesting because one of the things that I have found in my research and in my personal life is that women in particular use humor 
more frequently than men for coping with stress and seeing the light of the situation through jokes or sarcasm or whatever the case is. We have, we minimize our stress through humor by not taking it as serious. I mean, that's also an element of, you know, appraisal focus. You have to appraise the threat or the stress differently in order to have a some sense of humor around it. But that's not just particularly women. Men do it as well. There's a lot of very famous comedians who are on stage who went through very traumatic life events and they use humor in order to cope with that trauma. And um, they're able to turn their life around because they learn how to appraise things different. Now, I'm going to talk about there are some maladaptive coping mechanisms or basically non-coping, avoidance in the negative side of it. And maladaptive coping techniques will reduce the symptoms while maintaining and strengthening the stressor. It's basically you have no self efficacy, meaning you feel like you have no control and you are more often or not the victim. You make yourself the victim of the situation. So some examples include when you disassociate, denial, it's not me, no way, that's you. And I will tell you a lot of these traits go in with narcissism. And I've said it before, we live very much in a narcissistic society based on a lot of old historical trauma. Colonization is a trauma in itself for people of color. And yeah, colonization, big problem, people. We do safety behaviors, anxious avoidance. That's the best way to to describe it, anxious avoidance. Because the avoidance I was talking about before is more like Hey, I see you. I know what you're doing. I'm holding my boundaries and I'm no longer going to interact with you. That's a different anxiety avoidance is I'm afraid, uh, scared. My heart is racing. I don't feel good in your presence and I'm running away from you. That's different. So jumping a little bit into disassociation, it's the ability of the mind to separate or compartmentalize thoughts, memories, and emotions. It is very much associated with post-trauma stress syndrome, PTSD. And I know that many communities of color suffer with PTSD because we, we have the complex version of it, where it's chronic, where it's societal, where it's systemic, where it's like day in, day out. And it's actually really a problem that we community of colors need to get underneath so that we can truly heal. And we use a lot of maladaptive coping mechanisms, drinking, drugs, to be able to cope with all of this historical oppression. And uh, yeah, so we do compartmentalize. It's harder to see the bigger picture of things because we're a lot of communities are of color and, and particularly right now on the highlight is Asian community are under attack, but we're always under attack. I think that finally 
people are starting to see that reality. Sensitization is another maladaptive coping mechanism. It's when a person is seeks to learn about, rehearse, and or anticipate fearful events in a protective effort to prevent these events from occurring in the first place. And another word for that is hypervigilance. I know that many community colors, we we don't have a free and easy existence. So there's a lot of hypervigilance and we pass that on to our kids by saying, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that, or really looking for danger a lot. And it actually has a negative effect on our health, on our emotions, everything. It's hard to just be like, exist. And then there's rationalization, which is uh, basically reasoning to minimize the severity of an incident, to avoid approaching it in ways that could cause psychological trauma or stress. Again, another form another bit connected to hypervigilance. It usually makes excuses for the behavior of the person engaging in the rationalization. So let's, let's, I have a perfect example of this. Well, if she didn't want to be raped, why'd she wear that short skirt? Is as a woman, this rationalization is usually used against us for rape culture. As a victim of that as well, at a very young age, I can tell you it is not our onus to be the ones to control ourselves or how we dress or how we behave or how we walk or how we speak. It is the onus of the males to to regulate themselves, to control their their tendencies and thoughts. I mean, and if they can't, they need to find different coping mechanisms in order to not harm women. So that's all I'll say (laughs) about that. And anxious avoidance, which I mentioned earlier, is when a person avoids anxiety provoking situations by all means. So they might actually underperform in order not to to be seen as a failure, or they might, they just might not try at their work, their job, their studies or whatever. This happens a lot with students. I have to actually managing that from time to time with my very talented son who, because of the bullying that he has experienced here, that sometimes doesn't always put his best effort towards things because A, he's judged when he does really great and he's judged when he doesn't. My son is extremely adept physically, did really well in gymnastics. He does really well. He started riding a bike at two, skateboard at one and a half. I mean, this kid is moving and shaking, smart as a whip. And I'm not saying that just because I'm his mother, of course. I've worked with other children, but it's really difficult as a parent to gift a child who is not given the opportunities because of the way he looks. And sometimes my hypervigilance, because I had the same experience in school, kicks in. And I might even go too far with the schools, but it's because, you know, I'm a mama bear, but I also have to walk that line and balance my own inner child pain that gets triggered from seeing his, him being triggered and, and hurt 
by the same experiences that I had. I also have to make sure that I understand that he is not me and an individual. So sometimes that's a, it's, it's a tricky game. I, I do my best, but as parents, we love our kids so much. And I know it's funny, but sometimes I think when we're raising them, we sometimes need to love them a little less or in a better way or have a better coping mechanism around the deja vu you may experience as you grew up. We all experience the same things in loops. That's one thing I've noticed about life. It's loops. And until we break or bring awareness to the loop, it continues. So what are you doing daily to bring awareness to the loop? I find it interesting and and I, I really am against this comment and you guys can comment if you agree or disagree. Oh, it's just human behavior. I find that to be maladaptive coping and it's not just human behavior. It limits us. It says that we are not able to use the more positive coping mechanisms to help make positive change in the world. And I basically don't agree with it. I know that we have, you know, biological things that are going on that are out of our control sometimes, but we do have the ability to have awareness around those things. We have the ability to have awareness around those things. And once we have the awareness, we can take steps on how to regulate them. We can understand what, what our motivation or purpose or what we want out of this life, of this world, of this existence, of this reality for ourselves and our children. We also know how to be compassionate and understanding that, you know what, everybody is walking around in the same shoes we are. We're all just children walking around in adult suits, pretending we have it all figured out while we spread our trauma to everyone we meet, especially our children. And it's so important important that we realize our social skills and everything that we do to our brothers and sisters affects each other, affects us. You know, when we are out there being unconscious, hurting ourselves daily, we're going to hurt other people. It's just going to be the way it is. And there's nothing stopping us from changing and stopping that loop. Uh, I read some really, I, I read all kinds of stuff, but I was reading some things about how Elon Musk actually believes that we may be in a simulation. I love the movie, The Matrix. I think it was one of the first movies ever in my adulthood that blew my mind that said, yep, that's what's happening. And I don't think it's too far off. I think our our minds and our brains are just programmed to exist in a certain way. And as soon as we start breaking that loop and we start investigating and things, we get really big traumas start happening again. For example, COVID. This is a trauma. People are dying. We get George Floyd, not that he's the first, but his murder in front of everybody 
was so traumatizing. I mean, I had over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, seen so many of these stories about young black men and women being murdered by police. I just couldn't watch anymore. And it's part of the reason why I left the United States in the first place with my black son. He's biracial, but he's black in the eyes of the society and the culture. And I'd like to say here is much better. It is much better in the, the way that situations are dealt with. Guns are not prevalent, but it's, it's very, very clear where the mindset of the founding fathers came from. You know, once we start really looking at our history, his story, we can start shifting the reality into something that is inclusive and embracing for all people. So I do appreciate you. I hope you got some value out of these coping mechanisms. I hope you are applying them to the current situation. If you are watching the trial, I want you to breathe. I want you to cry if you need to, but mostly I want you to understand and have compassion for yourself and know that you are not weak for having this feeling of anxiety and sadness and remorse. And please don't go to shame if you are feeling anything type of guilt because you are not a person of color. I ask you to embrace that and examine that and not take it to a place of shame because that is the negative side of the ego. And it also makes you fatalistic. It also makes you maladaptive, meaning, oh, well, this is just the way it is type of attitude, or I'm a bad person. Loving yourself and having compassion for yourself, no matter who you are, no matter what your culture, no matter what your creed, no matter what your gender is the way, is the way to complete healing and love. And it's the only way we're going to actually vibrate high enough to change this reality. I know I got all metaphysical on you, but see, I'm a, I'm not a person. I, I don't like to be in a box. I see the value in almost everything that is on this plane of existence and why it exists. I do multiple things. I write children's books. I'm a EQ parenting coach. I'm a cognitive behavioral therapy coach. I'm an artist. When my younger days, I was a dancer. I don't box myself in. And so I, I really hope if you're listening to this podcast that you stop boxing yourself in. You can be whatever you want to be anytime, any day. Start believing in your power in your ability to be who you want to be. And I hope you all are taking care of each other, loving each other, and having a beautiful, blessed day. Thanks for listening.